Okay, ladies and gentlemen, we're going to be doing an introduction in Mark. And uh, we've added to the notes from last time. Uh, it's the same opening page and the second page. And I want to review a little bit about this. Uh, one of the things that we were talking about last week, and I want to kind of wrap it up, is when was Mark written? Uh, it's pretty clear, and I'm going to show you why. We think it's right around 64 A.D. He was connected with Peter in the ministry. And I want to show tonight two things as we work up to this, as we, we're going to read through the, the early church testament, testimony on when Mark was written, some of the, the people that had, had uh, insight into it and were available to write. We have the writings left. Uh, but I'd like to introduce a little bit about Mark and, and a little timeline so if you go to page three, I'm going to walk you through a timeline, a, a little bit of a review. Uh, there's a lot of verses that circulate a, a, around Mark or mention Mark that kind of give us a, a perspective. And it, we're pretty confident that Mark, it does, the book doesn't say who wrote it. It does say, you know, Mark wrote it. The, the, the name Mark has been associated with this gospel from the very earliest time. But yet the text itself doesn't say Mark. Uh, but nonetheless, on page three, you've got a timeline. I just want to follow this. The, fr the years are, listen, 30 A.D., 32, 33, 34. That's not just numbering. Those are the years on the left side of the column. Uh, and I'm going to go through the book of Acts. I've got a few things here in Acts to look at. Uh, and j again, just kind of catch you up on some uh, the information about Mark. But 30 A.D., we know that's Jesus' death and resurrection. Some people say 33 A.D., and that's a debate you can have. Uh, the church is meeting in John Mark's house at this time. It, it's, it, the book of Acts calls him John Mark, or calls him Mark, who's also called John. And you can see why the name John would have fallen away from Mark, because there's already uh, someone named John, well-known in Jerusalem, all the way up until 66 AD. And so it'd be easier to just go by the name Mark. Uh, Mark is probably a very young uh, man at this time. Uh, his mom's name is Mary. Uh, and we'll show you the verses coming up here uh, later on in Acts. But that's where the early church is meeting there. Some would think that the, the Last Supper may have been at John Mark's house or his mother's house. Uh, and the, maybe the day of Pentecost began in Mark's house. But clearly, by chapter 12, we are in meeting in John Mark's house. It, it makes it pretty clear. But... Uh, the first thing I want to point out is just go to, go to uh, Acts chapter 4, verse 36, and we want to introduce this person to you, just a kind of background for Mark. Uh, you know, as a, we've, we're not teaching through Acts, so I'm skipping a bunch of details. The church has started. Uh, they're facing some persecution. Uh, the church is growing. Uh, and in chapter 4, verse 36, it says... There's a man named Joseph, a Levite from Cyprus, whom the apostles called Barnabas. Uh, Barnabas simply means son of encouragement. So his name is Joseph, but it appears his nickname was son of encouragement, which appears to be his gift, his spiritual gift in the church was just the brother who keeps encouraging. He keeps uh, the son of encouragement. Uh, so his name is Joseph, and he's a Levite living in Cyprus. So he would be a Hellenistic Jew, meaning these are the Jews that 
were, were faithful Jews, but they lived outside of Jerusalem, outside of Judea, outside of Israel, and they are part of the Greek culture. Paul would have been, or Saul would have been, a Hellenistic Jew living in Tarshish. He came to Jerusalem to be trained, so he picked up some boots on the ground training in Jerusalem in the culture, but he was a Roman citizen from Tarshish. And, and uh, Barnabas, the same thing, Joseph, a Levite, uh, uh, son of encouragement, which means son of encouragement, says it right there, sold a field he owned and brought the money and put it at the apostles' feet. So he sold a field and brought the money and gave it to the church, and they began to distribute it to those that were in need within the church. Now, that's Joseph. We're going to find out, and we can jump over there. If you want to, go to Colossians, uh, Colossians chapter 4. We're going to come right back to Acts. Colossians chapter 4, and this is just a little piece you pick up. Uh, because when Paul is writing to the Colossians uh, from prison in 60, 61, 62 A.D., Colossians chapter uh, 4, verse 10, I just want to point this out so you can see it in your, in your text. Uh, Paul is closing down the letter to the Colossians, giving the final greetings. Verse 7 talks about Tychicus. And then verse 10, he says, my fellow prisoner. Remember, Paul is under house arrest. He is, you know, he's got guests coming and going. The Jews meet with him every day. The, the church is probably financing the renting of the apartment. He's just waiting for his court case to be heard and, and released. This is 60 to 62 AD. This is not the 67 imprisonment when he's writing 2 Timothy. But nonetheless, he's writing from Col- to the Colossians. In verse 10, My fellow prisoner Aristarchus sends you his greetings, as does Mark, the cousin of Barnabas. You have received instructions about him. If he comes to you, welcome him. So interesting, right there in 61, 62 AD, Mark, that's writing this gospel, is in Rome with Paul. And he's going to be sending him out, probably maybe going to Colossae. Uh, he mentions him. He's the cousin of Barnabas, or the cousin of the son of encouragement. Uh, you have received instruction about him. If he comes, uh, take care of him, as it says right there. So now, that puts, if they're cousins, and he's from Cyprus, uh, John Mark, whose mom has a house in Jerusalem, has a house in the nice part of the city. It's if it's in where the upper room was at, it's, it's on the western hill, uh, opposite side or going away from the Temple Mount, going west up the city. That's where the priestly houses were. That's where Jesus' trial would have been when he went to the, uh, the high priest's house. So they are uh, wealthy people. Uh, Barnabas sold a field. John Mark's mom's got a house. And it doesn't say his dad had a house. It means his father has probably died and his mom has got money and has bought a house, and John Mark is from uh, Jerusalem. He maybe was born there and grew up there. Nonetheless, I just want to introduce Barnabas. Now let's go back to Acts. Um, And we're kind of tracing John Mark's life here through just mentions that we can see in Scripture before we start speculating too much. In Acts chapter 11, verse 19, uh, it starts talking about the church began to uh, grow in Antioch. The the persecution that Saul brought and others 
the people fled Jerusalem. They fled to Antioch. They fled North Africa, and they started church. They started preaching to the Gentiles, and the Gentiles started hearing it. So in Antioch, a church is formed. Now, between Acts 4 and Acts 11, Paul has been uh, uh, born again on the road to Damascus. He's gone away for three years, and that's all kind of written down right here. If you look on page 3 of your notes, I've got year 32, Barnabas sells a field. Again, I write the year 32 A.D. The, the, the book of Acts is not dated, but that would it's right in there as you put these things together. Chapter, the year 33 A.D., the church is growing in Jerusalem. 34, Saul arrives in Jerusalem, coming out of Tarshish, coming back to Jerusalem, uh, having been gone. Uh, he was trained in Jerusalem. He went away after his training, and we're not sure what he was doing, but he came back probably to help get things straightened out because there's some debates going on between the, uh, the synagogue of the free man, you can read it in the, the book of Acts, and some of the Jews. In the, the Jews are having debates, and they're arguing about Jesus. And so Stephen would, was one that rose up and was very brilliant in debating from the synagogue of the free man, the, probably a Hellenistic church that had, or synagogue that ex- accepted Christ, arguing with the other Jews who were contrary to it. Well, maybe, again speculating, Saul arrives right at that time. Now they may have sent away because he's, he's trained under Gamiel. Still, we still have Gamiel's writings. Uh, so he was maybe, you know, the, the, the hired gun to come in and shut down this debate, take out these debaters from this, this synagogue. Well, nonetheless, he arrives at the same time, and Stephen is now brought in for trial, and that's when Stephen is stoned in 34 A.D., and a great persecution broke out, and Saul is leading that persecution. As you remember, when Stephen was stoned, they laid their coats at the feet of a young man named Saul, who apparently had some kind of oversight, because they're... He's going to oversee their coats while they're acting on his directions or something. Again, we can figure that out or speculate a little bit. But right after that, he's on his way with letters up to Damascus to arrest more Christians. That's where Jesus intervenes and Saul is converted. Uh, he then spends the next three years uh, you know, in Arabia, it talks about, and we can talk about that. So there's some interesting things about that. Uh, he may have been being trained, may have been being, uh, tr- you know, uh, meeting with the Lord, but also may have been meeting with other Christians that had had experience with the life of Christ that had gone into other countries. But nonetheless, that's uh, 35. By 38 AD, uh, Paul is going to come back to Damascus and then return to Jerusalem. Now remember, in 33 AD, or 34 AD, he goes to Jerusalem to persecute Christians. Now, three to four years later, 38 AD, he comes back. I mean, we're talking 36 to 48 months, he comes back. He was killing Christians, putting them in prison. Now, within 36 to 48 months, he comes back, and all the disciples are hiding, the believers are afraid of him. And he said, no, no, I'm a believer. And no one wants anything to do with Paul at this time. And he indeed is not, you know, uh, a double agent. Well, guess who? In the year 38 A.D., Barnabas introduces Saul to the disciples in Jerusalem, uh, and Paul stays there for about 15 days, according to Galatians 1, 18 and 19. He meets with Paul, stays with Paul and James for about 15 days, and then returns. Uh, but Paul, and, what's that? Peter and James. Paul, yeah, did I say Paul stays with Paul and James? Yeah, okay. Thank you. Thank you for correcting me. I appreciate that. Uh, Peter uh, 
during that time that they're staying there, now let's go to uh, chapter 12. Uh, see, the church in, in chapter 11, verse 19, that, that talks about the church in Antioch. And in, in chapter 11, going up to uh, verse 27, during this time, some prophets came down from Jerusalem to Antioch. One of them was named Agabus, stood up and through the Spirit predicted that a severe famine would be spread over the entire Roman world. This happened during the reign of Claudius, the, the emperor. The disciples each, according to his ability, decided to provide help for the brothers living in Judea. This they did, sending their gift to the elders by Barnabas and Saul, or Paul. And so uh, Agabus, a prophet from Judea, says there's going to be a famine, and there was a famine. Uh, this is recorded. In fact, I, I address it in the Jerusalem book that, that, that we're getting printed now. Uh, because Helena also was living in the city there, another uh, the queen from another country that became switched over to judaism she built a big palace she was buying grain from other countries to feed the jews at the same time so this story matches with history of what's going on in jerusalem anyway they collect money and they send it down to jerusalem with paul and barnabas so paul and barnabas are going to go down to jerusalem now what's interesting up until this time we've got just a lot of random stories i don't want to say random but it's about events taking place in judea but now all of a sudden, while they're there in Jerusalem, we're going to get a lot of details because Paul is there in chapter 12. Chapter 12, verse 1, is about this time that King Herod arrested, that be Herod Agrippa I, arrested, he, he was king from 41 to 44 AD, arrested some of the that belonged to the church intending to persecute them. He had James, the brother of John, put to death. So John, James is executed uh, in chapter 12, which would be, again, about, th- what is it, 38, yeah, 38 A.D. No, no, excuse me, excuse me. Uh, 44 A.D. is when this, yeah, that's when they were there during this famine. So a lot of times you think, you know, I think that James got killed right away. Well, he, it's going to be, you know, 14 years after the, the resurrection. So James is going to be ministering for 14 years, and then he's executed. Well, as the story goes, he then arrests Peter and thinks, wow, that made the Jews happy. Uh, he's trying to please the Jews. And it has, has Peter in prison. Well, Peter, you know, of course, the angel comes, helps him escape. And what we're looking at now, in verse 11 of chapter 12, then Peter came to himself after the angel had, you know, opened the gate. Now I know without a doubt that the Lord sent his angel and rescued me from Herod's clutches and from everything the Jewish people were anticipating. Now notice where he goes. When this had dawned on him, he went to the house of Mary, the mother of John, also called Mark. Now remember, Luke is writing this. He's probably writing this sometime between, uh, well, uh, right up until 62 AD, maybe writing it in Rome, because he's going to end this book with Paul still in prison and his first arrest. So he doesn't talk about his release. So Acts had to be done by 62 AD, which means Luke, which was the first book, probably was done by 60, 61 AD. But by this time, why would you put, this is just an interesting note to take when you read the Bible. If someone's name is mentioned, there's a chance they're just randomly throwing out names that, you know, just, you know, for no purpose. Or they're mentioning the name because the readers know this person. They know something about this person. Um, and that's, you can see it in several places. And so why would you say that, the, you know, why didn't they just say he went to the house where the church was meeting? Instead, they, everybody knows Mark because by the time 
this is taking place. Mark is moving with the apostles and traveling with Paul and with, with Peter. Um, also called Mark, where many people had gathered and were praying. Peter knocked on the outer entrance. A servant girl named Rhoda came to answer that door. Now, right there, you see right there, we said, not, we're not speculating now. Their cousin Barnabas sold a field and gave the money to the church. They're living in a house in the upper elite part of the city. And when Peter goes to the house and knocks on the door where the church is meeting, which means it must be a very big house for the church meeting. Well, just like, like us, we got a huge mansion here, uh, the elite house we got. But uh, no, I'm trying to be funny there. But uh, the, you know, Mark doesn't answer the door. Who answers the door? The servant. Now again, right there, that you know, kind of, again, justifies the idea that these are people are wealthy. A servant girl named Rhoda came and answered the door. When she recognized Peter's voice, she was so overjoyed, she ran back without opening it and exclaimed, Peter's at the door. So apparently she was a Christian also, part of the prayer group there. You're out of your mind. Again, this is, just, this is not what we're talking about tonight, but it's just kind of a funny story. They're praying for Peter's release. Peter's released by an angelic intervention. Peter knocks on the door and says, I'm here. The servant runs back and is convinced. It's Peter's at the door. They go, no, that can't be. It can't, it can't be. It, they, they says, you're out of your mind. God doesn't answer prayer. We're praying that Peter be released. There's no way he can be released. You're crazy. It's like, unless God answered your prayer. And it's just kind of interesting because I'm sure I'd respond in a similar way. So let's just point that out right there. Uh, that's Acts, Acts chapter 12, 12. The church is there. Uh, and Paul is in town during these events because they brought the money down for the famine. Now, at, right after that verse... Uh, 45, the year 45, Paul and Barnabas returned to Antioch, and that's in chapter 13, but when they go, remember John Mark was in the city of Jerusalem, but now all of a sudden in chapter 13, where's John Mark? John Mark is in Antioch with uh, Paul and with his cousin Barnabas, which makes sense. His mom let him go with his cousin up to Antioch. And that's chapter 13, and they go on their first missionary journey. And so John Mark is now out of the city of Jerusalem. He's seen a lot of events take place in Jerusalem. I mean, everything that takes place from the resurrection of Christ up until the time he leaves uh, in 45 AD. He's seen the arrest. He's seen the church growth. He saw the day of Pentecost. He's seen the persecution. He's seen a, a wide range of things. Uh, possibly even interacting with jesus in his ministry as far as seeing him come and go not that he was an apostle but that he would have been aware of this what was going on now they go ahead and leave on this first missionary journey as you know they go to cyprus and uh paul ministers there barnabas is with him and then from cyprus they go across you know go north up to asia minor or turkey and we have chapter 13 verse 13 from paphos Paul and his companions sailed to Perga in Pamphylia, where John, that'd be John Mark, left them to return to Jerusalem. He's been there for a few months, got across from Antioch to the first island. And it, the, the word there, as we break this down, uh, he had gone with them as, uh, as a servant. The word is an under rower, which means he was, was assisting them in some way, if it would be you know, scheduling for them or doing bookkeeping for them. Maybe it would even include writing notes, keeping track of the details. Maybe he was supposed to be writing the, the story that we have in the book of Acts. He, you know, like Luke is eventually going to do this. 
Maybe Mark was that. We don't know what exactly what his capacity was, but he wasn't one of the ministers. He was one of the under rowers, supporters of the minister. Well, for some reason, and you can speculate, maybe he got scared. He's going up into dangerous territory. There's a variety of things you could suggest. Maybe he got homesick. But he returns to Jerusalem. Maybe his mom wasn't feeling well. Maybe he got a message. But he goes back to Jerusalem. He doesn't last very long. And we can see, as we continue, we're looking at John Mark now. Uh, that's the year 45. Paul and Barnabas return to Antioch with John Mark. 46, the year 46, they go on their first missionary journey with John, but John returns to Jerusalem. Now, in 49 AD, uh, Paul wants to go back through all the churches in Galatia that they'd started there or administered to, and, and Barnabas is going to go with him again. But Barnabas, and again, now this is an interesting uh, account. Uh, Barnabas says, well, you know, let's, let's take John Mark with us again. And I, I'm trying to find my place here where this is at, return to Syria. Okay, it, it, I, I mean the, the, the year. Where are we at here? I should have wrote it down. We got the Jerusalem. Oh, yeah, there it is. Chapter 15, verse 36. See, we're skipping the 48 AD Jerusalem Council because when Paul came back to Antioch after the first missionary journey, there had been some men comes from James, Jesus' brother, who's the bishop of the church, had come up to Antioch in Syria and had began in inserting the law of Moses into the church. And so many people started drifting back. It makes complete sense. God established the law for the Jews. You're going to follow the Jewish Messiah. Well, you've got to follow the Jewish law. I mean, if you're not thinking, it's going to catch you off guard. In fact, Barnabas and Peter both got caught in that. So it's like, it's an easy trap. Well, we've got to keep the law. And Paul's saying, absolutely not. That has, that, you know, Paul's going to come against that. And so now there's a discussion. Do the Christians, the Gentiles, have to be circumcised to become Christians? And it's like, yes, no, everybody's got their own points. So chapter 15 is the Jerusalem Council where they all come together and they all lay out their information and, and they end up deciding. And again, there's a great letter there written by James. You can see it, it starts the same way the book of James begins. It's got the same starting as he began with the word greetings. Greetings, it's the same way he starts his book of James. And he writes the letter and basically says, no, you don't have to be circumcised, but you do have to respect the Jewish culture. And we could talk about that because they've got certain things, traditions they're following. You're blending cultures together here and you've got to be sensitive to each other's cultures. So you don't do things that are violating uh, their just normal sense of decency. Well, now, after that's done, Paul's going to take that letter and take it to all the churches and try to get them straightened out because... He's going to preach salvation by faith. But now James has approved of that also, as have all the other disciples. And so they're going to, him and Barnabas are going to go back through all these churches and bring this letter from the Jerusalem council. So we're in chapter uh, 15, verse 36. Sometime later, Paul said to Barnabas, let us go back and visit the brothers in all the towns where we preach the word of the Lord and see how they are doing. Barnabas wanted to take John, also called Mark, with them. But Paul did not think it wise to take him because he had deserted them. See the word deserted? It means abandoned. It doesn't mean mom was sick. It doesn't mean I got to get back to school. It means you abandoned your post. You had, uh, we brought you along with the intention that you're going to carry this luggage, you're going to take these notes, you're going to do this part of our ministry, and you just abandoned it, and we had to find someone else to fill in your spot. 
So Paul is saying, again, now this is, I, I've used this to teach uh, spiritual gifts before. And it's like, because you've got to decide who's right or wrong. Is Paul right and Barnabas wrong, or is Barnabas right and Paul's wrong? You've got to decide, or do you have to decide? Barnabas wanted to take John. Now remember, what is Barnabas? His name's Joseph. What does his name mean? Son of encouragement. I mean, of course, what's the son of encouragement want to do with a kid that wants a second chance? He's going to say, come on, we'll get through this, I'll help you. Okay, but you're, going to, you're traveling with the Apostle Paul, who's facing death every day, going to the utter ends of the earth with the gospel. God has told him, Jesus told him several times through prophecy and directly to face, you will suffer many things. I'm going to put you in front of kings and rulers, but you must suffer many things. So Paul is going off as an apostle to the Gentiles and is going to face all kinds of persecution and is just going to keep right on going. And to bring little Mark along is like, this is not a place for Mark. The front lines is not a place for Mark. Well, Barnabas, the son of encouragement, says, well, yeah, we can, we can make it work. I, I'll help him. It's like, and well, it, watch this right here. So but the point I'm making is they're both right. Mark does not belong with Paul at this point in his ministry. It's like he got scared the first time. We're going back to places. And Paul had gotten stoned on that first mission. And I mean, not stoned like drug stoned. He'd gotten stoned to death, okay? He left, like, left him laying out for the animals to eat. So if Mark had been there and watched, you know, Paul get stoned to death and they all just walked away and left him for the animals and Paul gets back up and walks into the city, that's the kind of life Paul's leading. And Paul's going to go back to that city again, where he'd gotten stoned to death. And so Paul's right. Mark does not belong here. But Barnabas is right. We need to encourage him. The issue probably is they don't need to minister together. Paul and Barnabas, although they're a perfect fit, Barnabas got Paul into the church in Jerusalem. Barnabas introduced him. Uh, Barnabas is known for his gift of encouragement. In fact, Paul got brought into the Antioch church by Barnabas. So Barnabas is opening doors for Paul. Opens the door of the Jerusalem church. Goes out and finds him, brings him to the Antioch church. Uh, they go together on the first missionary journey. So they're a great team. But eventually their gifts are going to part. And this is probably a lesson for, for all of us in the church is you've got different gifts, but sometimes those gifts are taking people different directions some are going to the front lines where they're going to get stoned to death and some are going to stay and and help others and encourage others and they're in two different fields they're in two different areas and so does well the sad part maybe is and it's interesting this is here because luke doesn't give you like and this is what should have happened he just tells you what happened uh but Paul did not think it wise to take him because he had deserted them in Pamphylia and had not continued with them in the work. They had such a, look at this, sharp disagreement. They had such a sharp disagreement. This is the Apostle Paul and Barnabas, the son of encouragement, who sold a field and gave the money to the church. Paul, who was knocked off a horse by Jesus Christ, uh, the bright light, and now is totally committed they're, they're arguing, and not just like disagreeing, but such a sharp disagreement that they parted company, which they maybe should have done without the sharp disagreement. They should have, I, again, if I'm going to make a, any kind of a point here, they should have realized, wait, wait, I'm called to go here. You're called to do this. I think we need to part uh, and uh, stay in agreement. Now, they're go- they're, it's all going to work out in a few years. It's not going to stay but. It, it, it starts by a sharp disagreement. They parted company. Barnabas took Mark and sailed for Cyprus. 
you know, they went to the same place they went the first time. But Paul chose Silas and left, commended by the brothers to the grace of the Lord. He went through Syria, Cilicia, strengthening the churches. Okay, so there is uh, right here, uh, whatever year we're in, 48, 49 A.D., uh, now you've got Paul and Mark separating. And I'm just kind of giving you some background here. In 57 to 60 on your notes, Paul is a, goes to Jerusalem, takes an offering from the Gentile churches. That, that's where, uh, you know, we could go through all that. That's, first, that's after 1st and 2nd Corinthians. He's in Ephesus. And he goes to Jerusalem with a huge offering from the Gentiles uh, and is arrested right away is arrested right away and imprisoned in Caesarea uh, by the sea. And he's in prison, going to be in prison for five years. From 57 to 62 A.D., Paul is going to be in prison. 57 to 60 A.D., he's in Caesarea by the sea, where he's going to meet with Festus and Felix and Herod Agrippa II. Uh, Luke is with him. And Luke, that's when Luke talks about carefully investigating, talking to eyewitnesses. It is in 57 to 60 A.D. that Luke is going to be able to write the Gospel of Luke. Now, I think that's obvious. Now, when you start talking scholars and theologians and textual criticisms, they're going to maybe push Luke a little bit later because they have to deal with the fact that Luke addresses in his end time speech when he, he had, the, the Jesus when he's talking about end times the the uh, Olivet uh, Olivet discourse you can break it into two parts the things that are going to happen in that generation including the falling of the falling of Jerusalem not one stone will be left upon another and then the second coming or eschatology yet in the future and you can divide that in the book of Luke you can do the same thing in Matthew and so at some point people become so academic and again it, it, it they're much better with text and, and reading and uh, pronouncing words and different things than i am so that when they get into and they see the book the literature has prophecy about the temple coming down they've got to assume that this was being written after the temple came down because when you read the bible you can have prophecy and you write it down, but when it's so accurate, the textual critic, even, even a good conservative, will be tempted to say, Luke must have been writing after these things took place, so he could kind of adjust Jesus' words, so that part of it's talking about the fall of Jerusalem, and part of it's talking, they're not doubting the scripture, they're just thinking, Jesus couldn't have been that precise, he couldn't have drawn a line right down, this is going to happen in your generation, and this is going to happen in the future. And so they think, well, Luke probably just separated it, so he had to have that historical event in the past so he could look at it and say, ah, that's already taken place. But what's the problem with that, I think, is Luke is going to write Acts, and he's going to leave Paul in prison. He doesn't say anything about Paul coming out of prison. Paul is still under house arrest, and the Jews are coming daily to talk with him. And he prophesies to them. He quotes Isaiah to them saying, you're just like your forefathers. You're always going to rebel. 
And that's, that's how the book of Acts ends with Paul. The Sanhedrin is still meeting in charge in Jerusalem. There's still peace between the Christians, the Romans, and the Jews because there, there's Roman guards watching Paul who's got the church helping him and coming daily to minister to him, and he's teaching them. The Jews are coming daily to talk. So you've got the Romans, the Jews, and the Christian all in Paul's rented apartment in Rome. So this has, I mean, it's clearly... 62 AD because by 64 AD it's all going to change the temple's still functioning in the book of Acts no clue if anyone's going to Luke if Luke is going to hint at the fall of the temple the book of Luke or book of Acts would be a great place to say something about it. but there's no hint of the temple coming down in the book of Acts there's no hint of the Sanhedrin ever losing control they're still the ruling power in Jerusalem uh, there's several other things inside the book of Acts that makes it very clear it was written before 70 A.D. And then you throw in the fact that Paul is still in prison under house arrest. It had to be, he had to close that thing down before 62 A.D. because Paul gets out in 62 A.D. So if Acts was done in 62 A.D., and if you read the beginning of it, he says, uh, in my former book, Theophilus, I began to write what I wrote what Jesus began to do. So l- the book of the Gospel of Luke has to be done before Acts is done. And Luke is in Israel while Paul's under, how, under arrest in Caesarea Philippi for three years. What do you do for three years while you're waiting for Paul's trial to be heard? Well, Luke is going to go off, and it, I, 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 he says he does. He doesn't say what year he was doing it, but he interviews people. He has eyewitnesses, and he draws up an accurate account. And he also says, many have already undertaken to write up an account. I decided so that you will know for sure to investigate these things carefully because by 62 or 60 AD, 57 AD, the legends are starting to come. And it's like, what's true? Well, Jesus did this, and then he flew across the sky like this. It's like, what? It's like, what, what is true? What, what's not true? And Luke says, I'll figure this out because he wants the truth for the solid faith. So I think Luke has to be written before 60 AD, or he could have finalized it while he's in Rome with Paul. But he's writing Acts and closes that down in 62 AD. So you understand what I'm saying? Now, you don't have to, there's going to be people disagree with that, uh, but they're going to go in and find, use the text to say, well, they, they didn't know for sure. Uh, or they, they wouldn't have known these things unless it already had happened. But nonetheless, that's where we're at with that. So Luke is written here. And, and Paul is uh, looking at the notes, 57 to 60 AD, Paul is arrested in Jerusalem in prison in Caesarea. And Luke researches and writes the book of Luke. I write that. That's not, you know, in the Bible that, that clear. But that's, my, that's, my, that's the base I'm working off of. 60 to 62 AD, Paul is in Rome under house arrest. Luke writes the book of Acts between 60 and 62 AD while Paul's under house arrest. Now, this is what's important here. Why are we saying all this? Because in 62, Peter comes to Rome. Again, that's not in the Bible, but we're going to put in 62 AD. Peter's got to be in Rome in 64 AD. Uh, He comes in 62 AD. Peter is in Rome, and he's going to write 1 Peter in 62 AD. Now what's important, now we're going to flip over to 1 Peter. Now we're getting deep into the apostolic days. I mean, Paul's written all of his, not all of his epistles, but he's written 
the, the prison epistles. He's written First and Second Thessalonians. He's written First and Second Corinthians. Uh, the book of Hebrews, I think, is being written in 63 A.D., and that's, that date is, you know, you got five or six years. You can move that around. But go to 1 Peter. Um, yes, 1 Peter chapter uh, uh, 5, verse 12. And this is, this is interesting here. And again, you, you know this, but it's always worth pointing out. Again, we do not know that if this, what year this is. I'm saying 62 A.D. We do know from church history, church tradition, that Peter's going to die. He's going to be martyred. He's going to be killed in 64 A.D. because Nero's going to have the fires of Rome. He's going to blame the Christians. And so persecution breaks out in 64 to 68 A.D. is going to be serious persecution. So somewhere you've got to squeeze the book of First Peter in here and right here, it kind of gives you some clues right here. Here we go. The end of the book of 1 Peter, chapter 5. With the help of Silas, whom I regard as a faithful brother, I have written to you briefly. Now, what does that mean, with the help of Silas? That means, again, without me being offensive or coming against the Scripture or the Word of God, that means Silas wrote the book of 1 Peter. Now, Peter would be dictating he would be you know uh maybe he wrote the rough draft or whatever it's peter's book it's peter's words but again and i'm not a greek scholar i wish i was so much more brilliant than i am academically in these things but when they talk and they compare first peter and second peter there are two different levels first peter is written at a very high level of greek uh it's got got vocabulary it's written well First Peter or Second Peter is not written by the same person who wrote First Peter. So and this is where the critics come in and say, "Ah, it, Peter didn't write Second Peter." Well, no, you can see right even the text. With the help of Silas, I've written you this letter. Okay, I, I've written. I, I just wrote Jerusalem, the revised edition. Now understand when you re, when you get a copy, that thing has been edited. There's, I got Tim Vanneman has gone through it and made some corrections. Uh, uh, Clint has gone through and, and talked about moving some things around. And so, yeah, it's my name on that book. But I give, you know, you turn the title page, I give credit to these guys. Uh, but it's like, it's Peter's book, but just to have someone help you write it doesn't mean it's not your book. So this, this is Peter's book, but that's, that's not necessarily the whole reason we're looking at this except for the fact that Silas is going to show up again. He's, he's already been with Paul traveling. He's going to show up again with Paul later. With the help of Silas, whom I regard as a faithful brother, I have written to you briefly, encouraging you and testifying that this is the true grace of God. Stand fast in it. Now, verse 13. She who is in Babylon, chosen together with you, sends you her greetings. Now, this is one of those verses it's like well look paul's in babylon and who's she is that his mom is that his mother-in-law is that who's she this would be uh, one way of reading this this is everyone knows what this is this is code she is the church the church that he is with and where is he at he's in babylon and again okay well i i we i've got him in rome 
He's going to die in Rome in 64 AD. How's he going to get from Babylon in the Middle East all the way to Rome? He could. It's, there, there's time, but it's going to, he's going to get, get going. He's got to go die in Rome. This Babylon right there is most likely a code word for the seat of where the powers that are against us is residing. Just like Babylon destroyed Jerusalem, this is the seat of the power that is working against us. And so even in 62 AD, the reason Nero is going to say in 64 AD the Christians did it is because when the fire breaks out, and again, you can read the history books, uh, there are several suspicious things happening. First, there was people that went out and were throwing fire in the buildings and were giving commands, the, 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 peop- the report came, and when someone tried to stop them, they were said, we're doing it by command. And so the fire was, it, it broke out, it burned, uh, what is it, there's 14 parts of the city, it burned 10 of 14 parts of the city, the numbers may be off a little bit. And the idea, and, and Nero right away jumped into action, you know, the, the government program jumped in, we're going to feed all these poor people, hoping they'd all rally to support him. And the suspicion got very, very clear, Tacitus records it, that people knew Nero started the fire, that Nero burnt the city intentionally, and he wasn't able to shake that accusation. So he found a group of people that, were, that people didn't like, the Christians, because like I said last week, the Christians wouldn't participate in the, the unions or the guilds. They wouldn't participate in the, the festivities that would lead to immorality. And so they appeared to be men-haters. They, they, wouldn't, they wouldn't socially interact with the rest of everybody. And so there's already this undercurrent against these Christians. And that may be, it, it, the persecution hadn't broken out in 62 AD, but there's already this undercurrent coming against them because they're, they're breaking with society. And so Paul, or Peter writes, she, the church, who is in Babylon, which I mean Rome, they send their greetings to you. And then here's the whole reason we're in this verse. She who is in Babylon, chosen together with you, sends you her greetings, and so does my son Mark. Greet one another with a kiss of love. Peace to all of you who are in Christ. So this is Mark now, is clearly with Peter, in 62 AD. Uh, and that is how, we've, how far we've gotten so far here with the life of, of, of Mark. In 64 on your notes, it's not in the text of Scripture. I mean, don't you wish we would have another 10 chapters of, of Acts and have Luke record, you know, the fires, what happened to the Christians and the details. Church history. In fact, the, the the Roman historians like Tacitus, they pick it up. I mean, they tell you the history. I mean, we've got Acts, but they tell you the fire. Public blame Nero. Nero blamed the Christians. Everyone goes berserk on the Christians, and Nero starts executing Christians in the uh, in in the uh, arenas. Uh, several things he says they do to them is they they crucify some of them. They burn some of them. They dress them up in, in animal skins and send them out into the arena and l- release wild dogs on them, and the dogs attack and tear them up. And, and it even says the people in the crowd began to feel sorry for the Christians because of the persecution they're facing. Now, that's really important for this book of Mark because as we get into the book of Mark, Jesus is going to be portrayed very clearly as the suffering Son of God. He's going to be the Son of God. He's identified five different times in the beginning of the book, when the God the Father speaks at the baptism, 
when, when, when Peter addresses him at Caesarea uh, Philippi, and at the end of the book, when the Roman centurion says, surely this is the Son of God. So Jesus is the Son of God, but throughout the book, Jesus is suffering, suffering, suffering. And the theme, whenever Jesus is suffering, the theme is said, the disciples will suffer. Like, Jesus carries his cross, you've got to carry a cross. And this is, the, this is the audience, this is the audience right here, 64 AD, that Mark is going to be writing his gospel to. It's going to be the Romans, the Roman Christians, who are not Jews, they're, they're Gentiles who have come to the faith, and now they're being thrown to the animals, they're being burnt, and just like throughout his book, he is the Son of God, but he is going to suffer. If you're going to follow the Son of God, you're going to suffer, and there is promises of what is yet to come. And so that sets us up at 64 A.D. As we look on this chart now, again, what I'm looking at the notes. So 66 and 70 A.D., the Jewish wars break out. Oh, 67 A.D., right here. Peter dies right here. Mark is going to write the book of Mark, I think, right here. He may have started writing it before Peter died, but church history is going to make it very clear he finishes it after Peter's death. So I would say it's going to be published 65 A.D., 66 A.D. It's going to be uh, published. Now, Paul gets arrested in 67 A.D. by Nero also. Uh, Nero's troops in, uh, in, uh, in Troas is brought to Rome and he knows he's going to be executed. He writes in 2 Timothy now. He writes 2 Timothy back to Timothy who's living in Ephesus, leading the church in Ephesus. And uh, I've got it written down. You don't have to look at it. I've got it written down there on page 3, the year 67. Paul either died and was executed the fall of 67 or the spring of 68. I, I like to think it's spring of 68, but we don't know. But he writes the letter in the, in the summer, late summer of 67, telling Timothy to come bring my books, parchments, and my scrolls, the animal skin, the, the actual books, and the papyrus, the scrolls. That's the letters and the notes that he's written. And bring me a coat. But he also says in 2 Timothy 4.11, as he's closing the book, Luke alone is with me. Luke is still with him. Don't you wish Luke would have wrote like Acts part 2? you know luke alone is with me then he says to him tells timothy get mark and bring him with you for he is very useful to me in my ministry so now why would he be saying bring mark because mark has been traveling or is with peter even in church history he's with peter traveling and, and writing for peter uh the reason he's gonna send bring mark is mark has finished the book of mark He's no longer in Rome. He's gone off somewhere, probably maybe presenting his gospel or whatever, but he's not with Peter because Peter is dead. So Mark is now unemployed. He's looking for an apostle. And so he says, bring Mark with you. And what's he, how, why would Mark be useful for Paul? Well, Paul, even at that point, is still in communication mode. He's not down there like before. He had under house arrest. He was in, probably had a desk set up, had some kind of scribe, had people, he'd write a letter and then, you know, five other people would, they, they didn't have run to, I'm going to send the book, the Jerusalem book, and we're going to print 5,000 copies. We just wait for it to come in the mail. Well, Paul maybe would write a letter, and then he'd say, well, okay, I need five of these. I need one for the Philippians, the Colossians, the Ephesians, and 
this, they'd start, they'd start, scribes would start copying these letters for him. Well, Mark has proven to be uh, a writer. Uh, he's a scribe. He's got a good vocabulary, and he's just published the Gospel of Mark, if, if my timeline is correct. And again, that's what church history would support. So Mark most likely is going to come there not to uh, schedule Paul's travel arrangements or to carry his luggage or to bring him food or cook his breakfast. He probably says, I need him to write. He's probably he's going he's gonna to need to be writing. And so that leads us down now to the chart I've got at the bottom of page 3. And I've got the years across that bar across the top, you know, 100 A.D., 200 A.D., 300 A.D., 320, 400, 500. And I've got just a little summary there of the, the apostolic age or the book of Acts, you know, 30, 35, all the things we've already talked about up to 85. Uh, I've got highlighted and underlined, in, again, what I'm saying, again, do not, you can look in your study Bibles and it'll tell you when they think the Gospels were written. Uh, and you should, you should trust those study Bibles and not just, you know, tear out a page because I wrote different notes. But I think the Gospel of Luke had to be written in 60 A.D., give or take a few weeks, months. First uh, Peter, 62 A.D. The Gospel of Mark is 64 A.D., and that's, that's in agreement. That's in agreement with everybody. Same with First Peter. The only thing I'm, I may get flack for is the Gospel of Luke being written. See, I've got the Gospel of Luke being written before Mark. And people say you've got to have, because Luke is using Mark for information. Well, they could be using uh, the same source. They could be using each other's notes. Uh, and that, that again, if, if Luke is using Mark to write his gospel, uh, then you're, I've got a problem. But if you can figure out another alternative, especially since you've got to have the gospel of Luke written before he writes Acts, and Acts has to be done by 62 A.D., and Mark is clearly, according to church tradition, written in 64 A.D. or right around that time. And then I put the Gospel of John at 85 A.D. Uh, and maybe even up to 90 A.D. Somewhere in there, the Gospel of John. I do not have in there the book, the Gospel of Matthew, because I, I, I like to keep it even earlier, one of the first Gospels written. Uh, but I haven't, I have, I, I've still got some things that, you know, I've got to consider because, again, of the similarity of Matthew and Mark. Like I said last week, uh, up until the 1800s, I mean the first four or five hundred years, even up to the time of Augustine, the book of Mark was dis, just set aside. It was like an abbreviation of Matthew. It was like a someone wanted to write you know, a reduced gospel, so they just took Matthews and cut out some pieces, added some more stories, and they came up with Mark. They really thought it was an inferior gospel until the 1800s and started saying, wait a minute, there's something happening in this book. And that's kind of some of the things we're going to see. And now, with the rest of that chart now, I've got this right here. In, these are testimonies from written material in the second century, 140, 160, uh, 150, 180, 180 again, uh, that testifies to what was going on in 62, 64 A.D. Um, the first thing I want to point out is I've got three of those things, 140, 160 to 180, and then the Clement of, Alexandria, Clement of Alexandria in little checkered boxes. We do not have the writings of Papias. We do not have their old Latin uh, manuscript with the prologue to Mark. We do not have that. 
We don't have the, the writings of Clement of Alexandria. But we do have is Eusebius. See if you can hang with me here. Eusebius is a church historian during the days of Constantine. Eusebius ends up in Palestine, Israel, Jerusalem, in that area, where Clement of Alexandria had a library. Origin from Alexandria, Egypt, ended up in Israel and brought his library. Fantastic library. And Clement of Alexandria had a library. And these are all handwritten books. They would have been their own writings, but everything else, including things like Papias's writings, that are all lost to us. But Eusebius had access to that library of all this written material. And so Eusebius quotes. Now again, if you want to throw Eusebius out and say he's just making stuff up, you know, how do you know? Okay, well now you're just now you're just you're throwing out all of history because how do you know anything? How do you know Caesar really fought the Gallic Wars? I mean, it's like, well, he wrote about it. Right, right, right. It's it's his own word. Um so assuming that Eusebius is trying to be honest and he spent wrote volumes on church history up until the days of Constantine, the first four centuries, uh, we, will, we will trust that he's writing or copying. In fact, sometimes, if you read Eusebius, it's, it's, it's completely wrong with modern standards because he'll say, uh, I'll quote, or he won't even say I'll quote, but as was written by somebody, and the next 12 pages are just him just copying someone's book. And it's like, well, that, fortunately, that book got lost, but Eusebius copied it into his book. And so we have that access. So Papias's writings, now Papias would have been a disciple of John. Papias, Polycarp, and Ignatius all knew John, were trained by John. And when John is sending out teachers in 2nd and 3rd John, and they're not being received by the church, those guys that were not being received would be Polycarp, Papias, Ignatius, and others that were holding to John's truth. But the church, by that time, by 85, 90 AD, they'd had 60 years to morph into some other Greek philosophy, and uh, they weren't accepted. So Papias would have known John and would have been trained by John. Um, and here, here we go. We're going to go, so you can see right there, he's quoted by Eusebius. Uh, the cover for the book of Mark in the old Latin manuscript. So there is, the, there is the original Latin Bible. They took the Greek and translated it into Latin for the Romans. That became so corrupt because of being copied and copied that in 200 AD, Jerome, who was trying to make a play for the, the bishop of Rome, lost the vote, ends up going to Bethlehem, and he was a brilliant scribe. He knew Hebrew, he knew Greek, he knew all the languages, wrote himself. Uh, the Pope that did win the election, or the Bishop of, of Rome, we're already getting corrupt, he asked uh, Jerome to write an updated Latin translation. So he, Jerome agreed to do it. He wrote it in Bethlehem, in the Church of the Nativity. I've been in the room that he wrote it because it, they built a church around it, around the manger scene or the, the cave where Christ was born, if it's the right scene, the Church of the Nativity. And they decorated it with decorate of, of men from the East. 
And when the Persians came in in 600 before before Islam, and we're talking 30 years before Islam, the Persians came in and just torched all the churches. When they came to the church of the Nativity in Bethlehem, they saw pictures engraved on the wall or images. I mean, they're large. They're huge. You can still see them. Uh, And they look just like them. They're pictures of their own culture. They go, we're not going to burn this church down. And so the church of the Nativity goes back. And then when Constantine came into power in 625, his, his mother, Helena, she came in and, and they built up. You can still see the floor, the mosaic floor that they put in, in 326. So you've got the original place that was the cave, highly decorated for 2,000 years of just gaudiness. And there's a room right there because it became a monastery where Jerome wrote the Latin Vulgate. It was, he sat in that room right there. And he wrote the Latin Vulgate. The long story. Before the Latin Vulgate, there was the Old Latin. And that is what is 160-180, the Old Latin manuscript with a prologue, meaning a little introduction to the book of Mark right there. And I've got those things right up here. So turn back to page 2. I'm going to try to get through this very quickly. These are some testimonies. Okay, Page 2.1, Mark and Peter tradition. Every early church father associates Mark and, with Peter. Mark wrote down Peter's account of the teaching and events of Jesus' life and mission. So without being uh, blasphemous or ridiculous, in a sense, the gospel of Mark is the gospel of Peter. Now, I know there is a gospel of Peter that's a fictional book out there that comes from the early church. That's junk. But this would be Peter's account written by Mark. In fact, that's kind of why it gets some traction because Mark is not an apostle, but he traveled with an apostle and wrote for the apostle Peter. So this is, in a sense, Peter's stories. Now, Paul, Mark wrote, this is not Peter. Once again, this is written at a higher, again, if, if I could say this without knowing these people individually and being able to actually crit- criticize their intellect. But this is not written by a fisherman. This is written by a scribe who has a good control of the language. And so just like 1 Peter is different from 2 Peter, this is Mark's writing of Paul or Peter's stories. Point two, Papias, the bishop of Heropolis, that's in Asia Minor, uh, wrote in 140 in his book, Exegesis of the Lord's Oracles. Now that's, what, that's the book that we don't have, but Eusebius did concerning what he himself learned from the previous generation. So when it says what Papias learned from the previous generation, the previous generation was John, the apostle. Uh, But he also talks about a John called the Elder, which could have been an, an old contemporary of Jesus or one of the first disciples of the apostles. So here's what Papias writes according to Eusebius, who's looking at the book that we no longer can see. And the elder said this also, Mark, having become the interpreter of Peter, wrote down accurately whatever he remembered of the things said and done by the Lord, but not, however, in order, meaning in chronological order. Meaning, uh, I like to see things go, as you can tell, I want timelines, I want charts, where Mark is not trying to see, because they say what was going on there in the, in the second century because you've got Luke who's got things in order, you've got Matthew who's got things in order, and then you've got Mark. It's like, well, what's this? This is not even the same sequence. 
It's like it's what Peter taught. He wrote it accurately, but he didn't put it in order. He put it in thematic order, meaning he's following a pattern. He's talking about the suffering servant, and he's going to take care of the Galilean ministry. He's going to go to Caesarea, where they're going to now make the journey to Jerusalem. We've already talked about that. The beginning is in Galilee, where he introduces himself. Caesarea is the turning point, and he goes to Jerusalem for the last week. In fact, the second half of the book is one week. It's, it's the travel time in the last week of Jesus' ministry. So what he's putting in that first part of the book is the early part, some of the important parts, but it's not chronological, it's thematic. Is what, what, and that's what Papias is saying, which means there was already criticism in the second century of the book of Mark because it doesn't follow the same sequence. So that's our first testimony. For neither did he hear the Lord, I'm going to continue, for neither did he hear the Lord, nor did he follow him, but afterwards, as I said, Peter, who adapted his teachings to the needs of his hearers, that's interesting, he, what did his people need to hear? He adapted his teaching. He didn't change the teaching, but what the part of the gospel do you need to hear? And that's what Mark's going to do. What part of the gospel do these people need to hear in 64 AD? You need to hear that the Lord and God who became a man, he died on the cross as the suffering servant for you, and you're going to have to do the same thing to follow him into his kingdom. So, and it makes sense to them because they were suffering. Um, but not as though he were drawing up a connected account of the Lord's oracles. So then Mark made no mistake in thus recording some of the things just as he remembered them, for he took the forethought for one thing, not to omit any of the things that he had heard, nor to state any of them falsely. So you can see that's the, that's the paragraph out of Eusebius, and that dark part is the, the, what he's quoting Papias as saying. And again, here we are at 8 o'clock, and I'm going to quit. If you got right down there, this is kind of where we ended with the, the old Latin manuscript last week. We made some more ground, but we ended up at the same place where Mark was known. The, the actual prologue of the book of Mark in the old Latin manuscript from 160 to 180, this is before Jerome wrote the new Latin Vulgate that the Catholic Church still uses. He, it, it says, as the introduction of the book, Mark declared who was called stump-fingered because he had rather small fingers in comparison with the stature of the rest of his body. He was the interpreter of Peter. After the death of Peter himself, he wrote down the same gospel in the regions of Italy. He was in Italy when he wrote it down, and he wrote it down after Peter uh, had died. Now, again, I don't think that you necessarily have to understand, think that he, Peter dies and goes, oh my gosh, Peter's dead. You've got to think that they were writing these things down knowing that Peter was going to die. And they wrote down these things ahead of time. But again, people wonder if that's, why would they write that? That just kind of gives a, a stamp of authenticity to it because why would you say Mark declared this? Uh, they called him stump finger because of small hands. It's like, or small fingers. It's like, why would you write that? Well, because that's what they called him. I mean, it, it's almost, it almost has that, that air of authenticity because it's so ridiculous. Why would you remember that? Well, I was there. That's what we called it. It's like, so anyway. I got to fi finish that up next time and we'll continue with this introduction. There's a lot of things I want to do in this introduction. I appreciate you being here. I'll pray and we're free to go. Father, do thank you for the chance to look into these things. We ask again that we may understand them, that we may use them in our own lives to find strength, to find encouragement, to go ahead and do the things you've called us to do, to use the gifts you've called us to use. And Father, we do again thank you for being with us and ask that we may see your work in our lives and in our nation. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you for your time.